so this is the third installment. Uh, I'm not going to assume everyone's been here all three, so we'll, we'll do a little bit of review. Today's scripture, though, comes from 1 Samuel 18. It's the story related to King Saul and, king, uh, and David. He's not king yet. For those that don't know any of the context, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context, right? So we're in the Old Testament, and Israel was, were slaves in Egypt. God sets them free. They roam in the desert, uh, and eventually they enter into the promised land, and yet they have no stability. They have no, I mean, they have the law now, but they've got no government structure and all of that. And so they say, you know, we want a king. So they tell God, we want a king. We want a king, just like all the other nations. What does God say about this? Not a good idea. Like, don't do it. But, you know, they're like, whatever, God. What do you know? Uh, all the other people are doing it. We want a king. So then God says, okay, but just so you know, they're going to, like, take your kids into battle. They're going to take your land. It's going to be bad. Uh, we want it. Okay. First king is Saul. So Saul, the very first king of Israel, so now they've got their formal leader, military, etc. God makes it clear to Saul, as long as you listen to me and you're faithful to me, things will be okay. Because ultimately then, God's going to be the leader. Saul's not. Saul's just an intermediary to appease the people. But if you don't listen to me, if you're not faithful to me, then things are going to go really bad. Because now all of a sudden it's about Saul, and it's not going to be about God, Right? So that's sort of where we're at. And so Saul starts off okay. Things go, you know, he's pretty faithful. But over time, not so faithful. Starts to do things his own way. God says do this. God says do A. He does not A, right? Or he kind of does A, but not really. So slowly but surely, God loses confidence in Saul. And so uh, he begins to look for another king. And David ends up getting anointed. Saul doesn't know that. But David's been anointed. David starts to get more prominence. So where we're going to read is a place where Saul recognizes David's getting prominence. People are recognizing him. And uh, Saul doesn't like that very much because Saul's still the king. I'm, I'm, I'm the grand Pumbaa, baby. Not you. Not David. And so uh, this is where we're at. Uh, David went out and was successful in every mission Saul sent him to do. So Saul placed him in charge of the soldiers and this pleased all the troops as well as Saul's servants. After David came back from killing the Philistines, and as the troops returned home, women from all of Israel's towns came out to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with tambourines rejoicing and musical instruments. The women sang in celebration. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul burned with anger. This song annoyed him. Annoyed him. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he said, but me with only thousands? What's next for David, the kingdom itself? So Saul kept a close eye on David from that point on. The next day, an evil spirit came over Saul, and he acted like he was in a prophetic frenzy in his house. David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand. He threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David escaped from him two different times. That does not sound like a party I want to go to. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and no longer with Saul. So Saul removed David from his service, placing him in command of a unit of 1,000 men. David led the men out to war and back. David was successful in everything he did because the Lord was with him. Saul, Saul saw that he was very successful and he was afraid of him. Everyone in Israel and Judah loved David because he led them out in war and back successfully. So... Uh, 
the concept I'm dealing with, this idea of anti-fragile faith, comes from a series of books uh, by Taleb Nassim, or excuse me, Nassim Taleb. Uh, I read The Black Swan, uh, which was written first in like 2006, and then anti-fragile after that. Uh, he's not a Christian. He's an economist. Uh, but he's talking about systems that are fragile, predominantly economic systems, those that are stable, uh, and then those that can be anti-fragile. And so this got me thinking about faith. So I want to try to sort of define these terms. Like, what does he mean by this? So I have some pictures for you. Um, so some things are fragile, and that's pretty easy. Like, they're uh, anytime something unpredictable, something difficult, he calls them black swan events, right? Uh, things that have, bring negative consequences into your life or into the world. If, if when that happens, you break or the system breaks in significant ways, we call that fragile, right? Some systems are resilient. So um, when black swan events happen, when there's resistance, difficulty, struggle, strife, the random, chaotic, unpredictable happens, they're able to survive, they are resilient. They make it through, but mo often unchanged, or the change is very minimal. And then you have something like anti-fragile systems. Anti-fragile is when the black swan event happens, when the negative consequence, when the thing you didn't see coming that really messes your life up, right? When, all, when, that, when something like that happens, you don't just survive it, you actually get stronger. You are transformed, you change as a result. So anti-fragile is much more than just being resilient, right? So I began thinking about these terms in, like, in my life, in the world, in my faith, in our faith, right? Some examples, right? So I, I've used the example of a cell phone in every uh, sermon so far, like, a fragile phone means if I drop it on the ground, that's the black swan event, right? The phone gets dropped and it breaks. It's fragile. That's typically what happens, right? Uh, if my phone is resilient, it means I can drop it and it will, like the case is strong enough, nothing happens. It still works. Great. Uh, Anti-fragile would mean if I drop my phone on the ground, suddenly another phone burst into existence, right? It, it, we get stronger. It gets better because of the, the negative event that happened. The natural world works a lot like this, like our immune system is like this. You give the body uh, bacteria and other things and our immune system kicks in and if it's able to fight it off, it doesn't just stay the same, it's actually stronger as a result of that. If you were never exposed to germs and things like that, you actually end up with a weaker immune system on the whole. Um, th this is not my don't get vaccine, vaccinated, so that's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is that in general, the body and the immune system responds to black swan events, to negative stimuli by getting stronger, right? This happens in wildfires. So you have a wildfire in nature. We don't like that that's bad, but often the forest can come back even stronger, healthier from that occurrence, right? Nature and lots of na uh, ecosystems are anti-fragile, right? Not entirely. They can be broken, um, but often they demonstrate a kind of what an anti-fragile system would look like. So then I started thinking about my life. I started thinking about like relationships. So many of you, especially young people, like my kids, like relationships are fragile. Any conflict and it's like, well, I can just unfriend them. I'll ghost them. I don't have, right? Like you just, you jump from one thing to the next. You find people that agree with all of your viewpoints on social media or something like, finally, yes, now I've made it, right? Very fragile to disagreement. 
Um, marriages can be like this, right? Very fragile. Any, any sort of resilience or conflict or issues or loss of job can lead to divorce. Very fragile. And sometimes relationships or marriages can be resilient. Like, oh no, something bad happened, unforeseeable, um, at least maybe by one of the parties. And it's like, oh, but you can like grit your teeth. Like, but you know what? We made a commitment. We'll just get through it, right? Like you'll, you'll just be resilient. You'll just take it and move through. And that's probably better than being fragile. I don't know if that's the goal of like a healthy relationship, healthy friendship, healthy marriage. Like we'll just tolerate one another. We'll get through it. But then there are some relationships, some marriages some, that are anti-fragile, that, that we are able to handle our conflict. We're able to handle the things that life throws at us in such a way that long-term, we've actually gotten stronger. We've, we learn to trust each other more. We learn to become more vulnerable with one another because of those things that we've lived through. That's not just tolerating or that's not just resilience. That's being anti-fragile. And, our, and faith can be like this, Right? Faith can be very fragile. So we looked at Job's wife, Job, who ends up having a lot of negative things happen to him, and his wife, only in chapter 2. There's like 44 chapters of Job. A lot worse things happen to Job. Chapter 2, his wife is like, curse God and die. It's like, whoa, I just have some boils. I mean, you know, get some cream or something. I don't know. But, uh, but the idea is that it's fragile, right? Like, like any resistance, any sort of like this negative, forget you, God, Right? In some respects, God is violating Job and Job's wife's expectations that life should go well because I'm faithful. I'm a believer. If I'm a believer, shouldn't my life go well? And then when it doesn't, it's like, oh, then forget you, God, right? So faith can be very fragile. We looked at Israel uh, last week. You know, God, oh, you know, I'll deliver you from slavery. I'll part the Red Sea. I'll bring water out of a rock. I'll manna from heaven. But God forbid Moses goes up into the mountains for a week and they've already like created a golden calf, right? They're like, where's God? Ah, let's worship something, right? Fragile faith, very fragile, didn't take much. What would it be like to move from having a faith that's very fragile, that's easily lost, shaken, or broken to one that's anti-fragile? And I'm not looking here for just resilience. It's not what I'm looking for. Resilience is, I have mentioned this, like I have students that I will talk with and it's like no matter how many Bible classes or theology classes they take, they're unfazed, they're unchanged, there's no growth, like I know the truth and like they just cling to it with all their might and it's like nothing that ever happens or could ever happen would reshape their relationship with God or cause their faith to grow. Resilience is not the goal, I don't think. It's better than being fragile, but I don't want it to be the same. I want to I grow. I want, it to, I want to change. I, ho- I hope all the way till my last day, I'm, I'm trying to grow closer to God. I'm trying to, be, but that often happens through struggle. Okay, so today's story, we've got David and Saul, right? Saul has been called. He accepts. He becomes king. He has some success. Things aren't going so great for him now. Um, and we see how he reacts to David. For those that know the story, the spear is only the first of several attempts of Saul to kill David, to get rid of him, right? Here's my congregational question, so now it's your time. We're going to have to speculate a little bit, right? Like, why is Saul behaving this way? What do you think seems to be motivating Saul's behavior? 
towards David, towards God. Eventually Saul, soon after this, will go and approach a kind of, um, I don't know, I mean, the Bible uses the word witch. That's a weird word. It'd be, it would be kind of like a prophetess, someone who like claims to be able to predict the future. Like he, he goes to her um, like looking for wisdom. I mean, he literally starts doing all kinds of stuff within the story, right? Why? What's motivating it? What do you think? Yeah. Fear? Okay, fear of what? Yeah, good. So there's a sense in which he's afraid that he's going to lose, that this is going to be slipped through his fingers. Sometimes I'm guessing Saul's not even aware of it. Like the Bible might have some insight, but like when he's doing it, I, I, maybe he thinks like, I'm the most powerful person, right? Like, well, what do I have to be afraid of? But you know, below that veneer is like that insecurity, that fear, right? You, meant, you said something, Linda. Threatened. Yes, right. Good. And again, if you're not, if the threat doesn't make you afraid, then why would I respond to it? But since he does, it's clearly that he takes it seriously. Yeah. What do you mean by that, though? though like the divine versus worldly? Yes. Good, yeah. So, like, it's this short-sighted view about what's happening right now, not thinking about what the future might hold if I responded to this differently or what God might have in mind. And, and this was, we talked a little bit about, like, Israel doing that. Like, they, when God was providing, they felt good, but the moment God was absent for a little while, which happens in all of our lives, I think, it happens to me anyway, God feels very distant, very absent. They went to what was right immediate. Like, we need something right here, right now, so there's almost like a, a short view to get something to worship to make us feel safe in the moment. Yeah, Shelley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I care about dogs. Absolutely. I think jealousy, maybe it's not the main one. I think it's a big one, though. He is clearly the song rubs him the wrong way. His, David's success rubs him the wrong way. There is jealousy. I think absolutely that's, that's happening. Yeah, Mark. Okay, explain. Oh. I, I think he's being painful. And you know, when you're king and everybody misses your butt, <laughs> you get used to it. Yeah. And so, you know, he doesn't want to go to God and humble himself and certainly don't want to take a second seat to David. Even though David could make his army more powerful. Yeah. He'd rather hurt himself and hurt David than have a win win. Yeah, pride is a big one here, right? David has, before this, David has defeated Goliath. He's had success. Instead of seeing that as a great thing, like, oh my gosh, I have this amazing leader who we could partner together and really make Israel strong. It's like, he sees it as a negative. Like, the, immediately, my pride, my arrogance, my 
small male thing that goes on, the, the fragile male ego, like David's now a threat. So I don't see it as a positive, not as someone to partner with, but as someone to like hold at arm's length. So I think, I think pride is a big one here with Saul. Yeah, M. Hmm. I'll show you my space and my ability. So I wonder if it's like this, I wonder if it comes from a space of like genuinely wanting to please and wanting to be the best and then it just turns really ugly. Yeah. And it turns really mean. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I, that's, I think that's beautifully said, right? This is where I feel so grateful that um, I have a job, I am in a community that really takes like human psychology seriously because we're pretty complicated creatures, right? And I think that what we often take to be strength is really, it's our fragility, uh, especially in men, right? Like I think almost all resorts to violence, it's a confession that I really feel small and I'm going to prove that I'm strong this way. Do you know who never had to do that? Jesus. Do you know what real strength looks like? Standing in front of your accuser and remaining silent. That's, I know who I am. What you say is not true and it doesn't matter and I don't even have to respond. That's strength. And I don't have it. I have to respond. It's, I, I couldn't be on social media because I couldn't stop responding. I couldn't go to sleep because I was formulating my arguments in my head. And like I just, I, I was like a weakling and the, my only thing I could do is like not be on it. But what am I really doing when I'm responding? I'm saying, you, you or whoever's going to read this needs to acknowledge my intelligence. Needs to acknowledge I'm right. Because I don't feel like I'm enough. Saul, I think there's a desire. I want to serve God. I want to be a good king. I want to be enough. But I'm not. And instead of just saying, of course I'm not. Of course I'm not enough. Because I'm not God. I'm going to prove it. But to prove it is to have all these unhealthy fragile male ego responses to David and other things. You feel small, but I don't want to feel small. How can I feel big? I can throw a spear at someone. I can send someone off to war and hopefully they'll die. I can flex my king muscle. Again, not, I'm not guilty. Not, no one's guilty in this room, but I've heard people are guilty of this in the world. I've heard that. Um, so I think all of these things are playing a role. Every single one. I think he is afraid. I think he feels small. I think that he's threatened. I think he's jealous. Here's, here's what I want to highlight. All of that stuff leads to a faith that is fragile. It leads to a faith because in the end, who is this all about for Saul? It's about Saul. Who, does he, who is he thinking about? Saul. Who does he want to make sure people love? Saul. Who does he want to get credit for the victory? Saul. It's all about Saul. And the moment that's true, the moment that is like, I'm really about Joe, my faith, my trust in God, my ability to connect to God, my, 
diminishes and my faith becomes very fragile. In any relationship, that's true. When I make my marriage about me, what she's not doing for me, the ways I'm not getting what I want, or I'm holding up more of my end of the bargain, and the more I perseverate on that, the more my marriage becomes fragile. And there might be some truth to that. I'm not suggesting you should just be with someone who's a schmuck. I'm not saying that. But there has to be a place where I begin to think about the partnership, her, my kids also, right? Like, it's not about me. It's about God. If Saul can get out of his own way and make it about God, David becomes an ally, not a threat. Like Mark said, right? If, he, if, Saul, if it's not about Saul, if it's really about Israel, if it's really about God, then David's not a threat. He's an amazing asset. A wonderful friend to your son, Jonathan. I mean, this is like, this could be beautiful, but your ego gets in the way. So we, we see Saul having this kind of fragile faith. Oh, by the way, if you just read forward a few chapters, David, once he becomes king and has power, it's the exact same. It becomes about David and what David wants and what David needs. And David's going to take a census that shows him how many soldiers and cattle and lands he's conquered, right? And that's exactly what leads to his downfall. All right. So if the goal is anti-fragile faith, I'm just going to give a couple of suggestions, like practical things that I would say, can we work on this, right? So from Job's wife, we learn anti-fragile faith would mean something like cutting our expectations. Like you, because you're faithful, because you're Christian, because you live in the U.S. does not mean your life's going to be great. Does not mean that God owes you bliss. Things are going to happen. They happen to all of us that are going to be crushing. And that is going to hurt the expectation that because I'm faithful, good things should happen. What do I do in the midst of that? I can either curse God and die, or I can say, this is going to make me stronger. In the long run, if I allow it, I will be transformed through this pain. That's anti-fragile faith. We learn from Israel that when we feel God distant and absent in our lives, like I pray and I don't feel you, where are you, God? We can either be impatient and turn to something immediate. I can drink. I can turn on Netflix or pornography. I can like get on where's my high school girlfriend on social media? I can do a million things right now to make me feel better. Or I can be patient. I can take a deep breath. I can say, God's not here now, but think of how God's been faithful for my whole life. Like if Israel had just taken a beat, God delivered us from slavery, God parted the Red Sea, God fed us when we were hungry in the desert. God's not here now, but God will show up again. That's anti-fragile faith. And if we can learn from Saul that it's not about me, that all the stuff that's happening back there, those houses, that's not me. That's not, that has nothing to do with me. That's God. And I have to say that over and over. That is God. And the moment Collister makes it about Collister, we will ruin whatever's back there. We will be disappointed. Why don't they come to church more? Those families seem ungrateful. Why do they park their cars where I can see them? That's what's going to happen if we make it about us. You're going to start complaining about them. There's noise. You don't think that can happen? I guarantee that can happen. That's what happens when we make it about us or we make it about God. We make it about love. We make it about something bigger. That's what we're going to do, right? We're going to learn. That's anti-fragile faith. That's faith that when there's difficulty because of the people that live there, which there will be because there's difficulty with neighbors, we're going to respond with love because it's not about us. That's not our land. That's God's land. 
Those aren't our houses. Those are God's houses. They're not mine, and they're not yours. Our faith is going to become anti-fragile. So I feel like, we're, like the Bible is just teaching us over and over again, right? You can do it this way, but look how it turns out. And then when I live that way in the world, I'm like, that's how it always turns out. Not so great for me. Or, or you can live this way. And we can, be, we can like cultivate growth and trust and that faith can really flourish. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is that you would just develop in us an anti-fragile faith, a faith that knows that we're gonna go through hardship, bad health, difficult relationships. We're gonna be hurt. There's gonna be pain. My prayer, Lord, is that we would be able to use that as a means to trust you more, that our faith would continue to grow and get stronger and develop in the midst of those difficulties. My prayer, Lord, again, is that we would have anti-fragile faith when it comes to those families moving in, that whatever difficulties arise, that this is a chance for us to serve you more, because it's not about us, it's about you. These are your people, these are your houses, this is your land. Give us the courage, give us the strength to submit to your will the strength it takes to submit to your love. Because when we do, Lord, there's no telling how you might work in this world. Amen. If you would please stand for our closing song.